I'm going to be um, looking at something which, I, 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 you know, I don't think I've preached on this in the, certainly the 30 years as I've been pastoring here. I don't think I've preached on this more than two or three times, maybe half a dozen, but as mo- but, but uh, and I, I just don't understand why that is. Because what I'm going to be asking you to think about, and maybe some of the other preachers will, will take that up in the next few weeks because uh, Felicia and I are going on annual leave on Tuesday. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> going to visit our family in America. Uh, but but I, I just want to speak about what is known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you will know exactly what I mean. Others will say, I haven't really, don't think I've heard of that one. And some of you, it's complete mystery. And that's fine. It's fine. And I just want to say, as, as I share these few thoughts, because I do want to lead into a ministry time, so that means that I've got to be particularly economical with my time, uh, that um, my prayer is that each and every one of us will have an encounter, a genuine encounter with the living God. For me, it changed my life and my wife's life. It was this particular thing that we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit was probably the single most important experience um, in our journey, and it changed everything. Now, um, I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. So uh, let's turn then. To, uh, we're looking at, this is the last in this series called Consequences, thank you, Benefits of the Cross, the Resurrection, and we could do a whole month of Sundays on this, uh, but we've been trying to look at slightly, slightly you know, um, unusual topics arising out of, you know, what, what has Christ won for us on that cross? And so turn with me please to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to uh, 8, Felicity, uh, could you just get my glasses out of my, my, my uh, briefcase there, thank you. I'm, I'm good, but if you can... Pass those, that'd be good. Thank you. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, written by Luke, uh, and it is often called, thank you, the, um, the gospel of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so let's just read this, and it will uh, begin to inform us. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now in about five or six weeks' time, Wendy Housen's gonna, uh, she's going to be preaching on the Holy Spirit as part of our values series which we're about to launch. But I just want to think and talk about this baptism of the Holy Spirit thing. You know, if you are part of the Pentecostal tradition, and some of you may have once been part of that tradition, you will have a very, very clear understanding that the the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an essential part of walking with Jesus. It's part of Pentecostal doctrine. And in fact, you would even go so far as to say, you you know, you're not... uh, What's that? Oh, dear, sorry. Probably my beard. I thought somebody had fallen down the stairs, and it was me. Um, 
okay? And uh, so you would have this understanding that uh, not only did you need to give your life to Jesus, but subsequent to that, you then needed to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And one of the key signs of that is speaking in tongues. Now, many, many, many people in this church speak in tongues, but not everybody speaks in tongues. But if you were part of the Pentecostal tradition, that would be an essential element in the, uh, the story. And... Uh, I must say that for Fliss and myself, we, we were blissfully unaware of this whole baptism of the Holy Spirit thing. I mean, if you had said to me when I was uh, 10 or 11, are you a Christian? I would say, yeah, I was baptized. I was christened. I'm a Christian. Now, when I was about 12 or so, I actually understood what that meant, and I gave my life to Jesus. I asked Jesus to forgive my sin, and I asked him to help me and all the rest of it. Now, there isn't time to tell you the story, but, you know, life went a bit weird for me, and uh, religiously it went a bit weird, and I basically walked, decided I wasn't going to do that religion thing. I wasn't going to do that Christianity thing. Now, when I was in my 20s or so, then um, suddenly the Lord began to move in my, my life in, in an unexpected and uninvited way, I have to say for myself. I was not looking to get religion. And for me, one of the central parts of that was that I was beginning, I was, a, I was a businessman, I was doing well. I began to get this creepy idea that God was calling me to the ministry now. Well, I never even had a plan to go to him anyway. And so that caused an enormous amount of turmoil and tension in me. And it wasn't until about 18 months into that process, through the... Uh, Direction, the spiritual direction of an Anglican vicar in inner city Leeds, a guy called Brian Ellis, who had been buried. I mean, he was a Cambridge graduate, very educated man, buried in, in inner city Leeds in the sort of back to back culture, the you know, real working, northern working class culture. He'd been buried there for 18 years. And I was sent as somebody who was inquiring about becoming a vicar, to go and speak to him. But I was warned. People said to me, don't pay too much attention to me, to him rather, because he's a charismatic. I didn't really know what that meant. You know, I, had no, I didn't understand all this terminology. Anyway, I started going over to see him, and through his witness and help, he kind of, uh, in a very gentle way, pointed us in the direction of beginning to ask God to do something more. Because it was, this was such, I was angry, I was hurting, I was upset that God was real, much less calling me into his life. And, I, and I, we, we just came to that point where we knew there's got to be more because we cannot do this thing if that's what's going to happen in our life without God doing more. Now, hands up if you want more of Jesus, if you want more of God, if you want more of what God is, has for you. Hands up. If you have a hunch that you may not yet be walking in all that God has for you. Interesting. It's good to know that that half of the balcony up there is fine. <laughs> I saw you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we felt trapped, caught like rabbits in the headlight, but, but it was a case that we thought, good God, it looks like, forgive my... my um, 
uh, my colorful language there, but we thought, it looks like we might actually end up being a vicar. This is, this is crazy bad. But, <laughs> but we thought, well, if that's going to happen, God, you've got to do something because we're, this is just not us. And God did, and we had what might be called, and is called in the Scriptures, the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've got to look, just, just uh, give me a moment, just look, talk amongst yourselves, just say, what's Chris on this morning? Because I need to really seriously modify my notes here, you know. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Let's go straight now to Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Now, theologically, it turned out, and I didn't know this. I didn't know this, but in the church, there's been quite a lot of tension over this issue. And the historic churches, I'm not pointing my finger at any particular church, have been very resistant to the idea that there is what some of churches have called a second blessing. They've been resistant to that. And they've, what their position is, is essentially, you know, if you believe, therefore you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've been through seven years of Anglican theology. And I think for a long time, you know, I, I was living in that, that with something of that mindset. And maybe some might even say under that shadow a bit. But on the street... It, at grassroots, being a pastor for as long as I've been doing, I've realized that actually that didn't work for me because so much of what we've done here, I hope that I would say all of it that we've done here, you know, we brought the best of our thinking, the best of our practice, but at the bottom, and the bottom line, it's always been God help us. Isn't that right, guys? I'm looking at the front row here. You know, we need the Holy Spirit, and we've, our experience has been that the Holy Spirit does not only come upon us in times of worship where we're singing to God, but suddenly we feel like we're being just bundled up in a, in a wonderful embrace. Our experience has been as we've sought for truth and understanding in all sorts of matters. So the Holy Spirit, and Jesus said he would lead us into all truth, has given us wisdom and insight and discernment beyond the natural where we've gone, Wow! You know, uh, we have found that the Holy Spirit, you know, when we've gone forward to pray for people or you've prayed for it, just felt a tremendous sense of inadequacy. Somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really sick or I have this issue or this problem. Please, would you pray for me? And you look around and you go, isn't there anybody else that can pray? Anybody ever had that experience? Kind of, You just feel like it's not a good day for you, you know? And yet you're being asked to pray. And, uh, and yet you pray, and then you are amazed because Holy Spirit, who is the one that brings power, and that's what happens in Acts Gospel. I really encourage you to look at Acts Gospel. Holy Spirit comes and empowers us and does stuff that we never thought possible. Never thought possible. And it's in every area of life, you know, Starting a church, church planting. We thought, what are we going to, why, why have we got to start a church? There's enough churches aren't there. Well, apparently not. You know, the next thing we know, we've, we're planting churches, all sorts of stuff. So the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, is the one that comes and leads us into truth, who comforts us, 
who empowers us, and I'm sure you know, Wendy will have a lot more to say on that. But what I really want to do in about five minutes, I'm going to invite the band back up, and I'm going to leave, try and leave t- five, ten minutes for us, and I'm not quite sure how we're going to do it, just to present ourselves and ask God to give us more, more Holy Spirit. One of the things that, you know, the, the Pentecostals, and I think we can really learn from this, they, they will point, rather than to this sort of statement, I, you know, I believe, therefore I am filled with the Holy Spirit, they look at Acts chapter 8, 14 to 17. Can we just throw that up, please, Joe? Thank you. Acts chapter 8, 14 to 17. I'll read that. Uh, is it? It is Acts. Yeah, chapter 8. Um, and that goes... When the apostles in Jerusalem, so the church has been birthed, we've had this first and initial encounter of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 in chapter 8 says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. See, there's an outbreak of, of, of Christian faith, and let's go and encourage them. So they go down there to check it out. And it says, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they, might, that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Spirit had not yet come on any of them. Now, these folk are believers. Maybe that's you. Maybe you are a believer. And you look at other people and think, well, I just don't get it. Maybe it's just not, I don't know. I mean, that person seems to... I don't know have more I don't know what it is maybe it's just me and you've kind of you know you try to rationalize it but somehow you feel like in yourself some sort of second class christian now these samaritans were definitely believers they were true they were saved you know it says in the scripture I'll read on it says because the spirit had not yet come upon them they had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus then peter and john placed their hands on them and the, and they received the holy spirit now, if we had time, I would go back earlier and I would talk about these Samaritan believers because there were some things, some hallmarks of being a believer. So, for example, they were ready and willing to receive the word of God. They embraced, Philip was the preacher, the evangelist who did the deed. And they heard the word and they didn't go, you're having a laugh. Or, you know, you've been on the booze. Or, you know, or that doesn't work for me because of so and so and so. They just lapped it up. They heard what, the preacher was saying, and they lapped it up. That, you know, the Spirit inclines us to receive God's Word. You know, Paul says, you know, the gospel, that's this good news about Jesus Christ saving us and dying for our sins. It says it, it's nonsense to those, you know, in whom the Spirit is not at work. It's nonsense to those who are not being saved. But to those who are being saved, it's like, well, I, I use that little poetry this uh, earlier on it's like the sweet fragrance of Jesus so they 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 responded to that the Samaritans responded to that secondly you know there was great joy in the city and we have said many times we've used that I think it's uh, is it C.S. Lewis who says that joy is the emotion of heaven there was great joy and they started behaving like Christians so some you know the Pentecostal church would direct us to these scriptures and say, look, look, the Samaritans were living the life. They were saved. Please don't say they weren't saved. But when the apostles came to visit them for a kind of a bit of a, you know, encouraging thing, they discerned that they were in some way lacking. And they were lacking the Holy Spirit. So they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
There was great joy. There was great joy. Now, uh, moving quickly on. Um, when we read about the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures, Luke, who writes uh, Luke and Acts, he refers to the Holy Spirit being given to people. And there are seven things I just want to just rattle through. The Holy Spirit is, is, is given as a gift. The Holy Spirit is described as falling upon people. The Holy Spirit uh, comes upon people. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon people. The Holy Spirit is received by people. The Holy Spirit is a baptizer. And the Holy Spirit, we know we are filled with the Holy Spirit. These are all expressions. Now what I want you to notice there, and this is where I side with the Pentecostals, <coughs> and not with my Anglican heritage, excuse me, <coughs> is that the Holy Spirit in Scripture is always something experiential and not inferential. You don't get it by inference. Oh yeah, I got baptized as a baby, therefore I must have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen like that. It's not part of the package. You know, when you join the gym, they give you a, you know, they give you a carry bag and they give you one of these and they give you a whole load of stuff free. The Holy Spirit is a free gift like that. The Holy Spirit, third person, the Trinity, actually comes. The scripture talks of him coming because he is the promise of the Father. Jesus himself said to his disciples, it is good that I'm being raised from the dead and going back to the Father. Why? Some of you know this. Because then I will send Holy Spirit to you. Now, all I've done here really is encourage some of you and unsettle and confuse others, and I apologize for that. Wendy's going to mop it all up and sort it out later. <laughs> but before I go on holiday, I want to say this. If it, if it had not been for this second blessing, um, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, Fliss would not be doing what we're doing now. And when we found out about this, because it seemed to be a secret in, in the wider church, it completely changed our lives. Completely changed our lives. Suddenly, rather than being an angry, disillusioned, fed-up person who felt like they'd been cornered by God and done out of a business and now life was going to be miserable, it turned me upside down and flissy upside down and our, our life went off on a completely different tra tra trajectory. Can you say that? Because I'm not... Trajectory, thank you. Uh, and I thank God for it. So I'm going to invite the band up now and I ask you to please all stand. I just pray that I've given you enough to want more. And I wish I had more opportunity here. Maybe Mark will pick this up to explore this further. In Acts chapter 19, Paul, go, Paul we've got Peter and uh, John here, but Paul later on goes to the Ephesian church. 
And he asks them the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? You know what they said? We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Nobody told us. What, you mean that's for us? And Paul said, you better believe it. And so he prayed for them. And the Spirit came upon them, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, you may be a brand new Christian, just having done Alpha. Well, you'll, have, you'll know about this, because we'll have taught you. You may have come into this church, having been like me for many years, fallen away, and not really having a church background with which to, to, to feed anything. But let me say this to you. God has not held back His Son in His efforts to save you. Why would He hold back His Holy Spirit? In Luke 11, Jesus is reported as having saying, you know, any father knows how to give their son good things. Why would the father not give you, yes, you, the one who's, you think, been left out or disqualified or, or not part of this thing, why would he hold the Holy Spirit back from you when he has given you his own son? So I think what I want to, I mean, I'm just winging it now, really. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you all to close your eyes. And then I'm going to, I don't know what song we, uh, song we had in mind, son, but I, I just feel like we need to go back into worship. And some of you may feel you just really need to worship and sing, that's fine. And others, I, I really want to give you the permission, just stand there, and if you say anything at all, just say, Jesus, I need more. Jesus, I... I need more. So let me just pray, and then Sam and the team will worship and sing a worship, and then I'll probably come back in with some closing prayer or some other thing as the Spirit prompts me. But we're, we're ha we have faith for lives being changed today, being given a leg up in spiritual matters because you've not been taught. And forgive me if I've been remiss in this. Father, we want to say thank you to you for your presence. Thank you, Lord God. This is the complete package. Father, you are our creator. You called us into being. Jesus, you are our, our savior. And Holy Spirit, you are the one who is at work in your people, in, in the church today. You are the one who makes this all come alive and enables us to lay down our agenda, our life in order, in order to take hold of more. So come, Holy Spirit. Thank you.